Good morning, everyone. It's great to uh, see everyone this morning. Uh, I don't know how many of you were able to participate yesterday with John Free's Celebration of Life, but it was held here at the church building, and there was a bunch of it was online as well. But John Free was uh, one of the men that served as an elder here for a lot of years, and uh, just a, a great man of faith. And I'll reference uh, some of the things that came up at the funeral yesterday, uh, because it really dovetails with what we're going to talk about today. But just uh, something that I, I really appreciated, and it was just it was something powerful for me to see, I guess. I don't know how to describe it any other way than that. But after the service was finishing up, uh, John's widow, Betty, uh, was walking towards the back, and uh, she had her little mask on, and, and she uh, is walking back and walks right by me and gives me a big smile and says, that was great, that was exactly what I hoped would happen today. God is good. And said something along those lines. I don't remember what her words were exactly, but I just remember her spirit. And I thought, oh, thanks, Betty. Um, courageous, amazing lady. And, and John uh, was one that definitely lived like this world was not his home. <laughs> and uh, and that uh, was something amazing and great to celebrate. If you were not able to, to be here or to watch online, there is a link on our Facebook page that you can go and and you can see it there. And just some of the stories that people told about John's life and the choices he made spiritually, uh, it's worth uh, going back and listening to that because there's some powerful, powerful things there that every one of us could learn and grow from. Uh, so that's uh, there, and it's uh, possible if you'd like to do that. All right, we're going to spend today and next week going uh, finishing up Titus, and then we're going to get into some different things. But Titus, uh, has, as we've talked about, is where Paul sends Titus to minister to a people that are pretty rough, pretty tough to deal with. And we're going to get head on into that today. And if you remember, the phrase that we've used over and over again here is Paul, it's like Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, teach them to do good. And so as we, we talked about here the last weeks, there's a passage that is powerful for me, and it still sends goosebumps down my spine when I read this and consider it. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And boy, we can relate to that, can't we? And definitely the people of Crete that Titus is working among can relate to that, because that's the way they were, that's the way they, they live, and some of them still that way. But... When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. So that tells us something about God. Is this God is not a God that is sitting up there in heaven saying, well, you better do right, I hope you do, because I've got this lightning bolt and I haven't thrown it for a while and I just kind of want to, want to get a good lightning strike in today. It's not the type of God that we're seeing here. It's a God that is full of goodness and mercy saying, Hey, I want you to succeed. And this is how he's done it. It says, It saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So baptism and the Holy Spirit coming into us and renewing us changes us. Both of those are gifts of grace that God has given us, whom he poured on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, white might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And so we've got this future as Christians, that is so much better than the past. And we walk around in a world that 
continually talks about how, oh man, look at how good the world was at this point in time. Look at how bad things are today. But we as Christians have a different message. So we don't have to say, look at what the world is coming to, but we say, look what has come to the world. Is that Jesus Christ, God himself, has come and has walked among us and given us the future that is beyond our greatest imagination. And if you close your eyes for just a second, think about the most beautiful scenery that you've ever seen in life or the greatest time that you've had with a friend and multiply that by many. That's what our future looks like. And you can open your eyes now. But the future is better than the past for us as Christians. And part of that future is right now understanding that eternity has started and my job is to be one that demonstrates and produces good fruit. Not because I'm earning anything, but because God has given me the greatest gift that's out there. Last week we spent some time talking about what does it mean to look like someone who does what is good. And Paul tells Timothy, or excuse me, Titus, he gives him a description of what, uh, what uh, elders look like, which is the example for all of us. Someone who is blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So someone who invests in their marriage and in their family. And since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. One, and this is, you see this phrase come up over and over again in Titus, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, when we look at that description there, that's a great description for what every one of us could be spiritually is being someone who has good fruit and goodness flowing out of us because ultimately we understand that we serve this great God that has given us a great gift and, and we just want to be a blessing to the people around us. And as I look at that description, I really think of the person that we honored yesterday, John Free. He had these qualities and that's why he served as one of the elders in the church here for a long time. And boy, what an example for us. What an amazing example of someone who loved what is good. That, If we could put John's life into just a phrase, wouldn't that be a, an appropriate phrase? One who loved what is good. And John was diminished a lot by the time I moved here. And um, he resigned as being an elder three weeks after I arrived. So Sorry, John, I didn't mean to do that to you. I think John was just staying in the saddle for transitions to happen. But it was, it's always amazing to me how even when John was greatly diminished, there was that joy and that happiness and kindness. And I would meet him in the back sometimes of the auditorium, and he would say, just have a big smile on his face and say, thank you, something kind, something good that would come out of him because that was so deeply... Um, flowing out of his life. You look at that last phrase there. It says, part of being someone who is godly is knowing the words of God so that we can refute those who oppose it and encourage those by sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine, that phrase is used in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and you can look there uh, sometime. Just go ahead and take a moment. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and there's a list of things that what happens when we're not 
don't have sound doctrine in our life. And so the point being is what Paul is getting to is that sound doctrine has to do with healthy teachings or healthy way of living. And part of being a godly person is being able to encourage people to live a godly life and to refute those who oppose it. Uh, that was one of the things we talked about this morning with the elders and deacons meeting and, and also that came up in his memorial service yesterday is John had a way of just inviting people into life and um, how many people became song leaders or served in some way because John just invited them into life. Frank Arnold, who shared the closing prayer, uh, something he shared is that John, when he was working for Yellowstone Bible Camp years ago, had said, Frank, we need someone to be a treasurer for the Bible Camp and you know how to use a computer. Would you do that? And Frank said, it didn't dawn on me until later that being someone who is going to be the bookkeeper for camp and using a computer were completely unrelated. But John asked me to do it, and so I did. And he has for, for a long time served in that role. But that was one way that John demonstrated encouraging others by sound doctrine, finding ways to bring people in and, and, uh, and bless them and, and use their abilities for great things. The other part of this is refuting those who oppose it. Paul spends a pretty significant amount of time talking to Titus and the books to Timothy just previously about what that looks like. And I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler alert here because this is one of those lessons that if I could say, all right, I'm going to just pick 10 lessons or 20 or whatever from Scripture and be really excited about sharing, this wouldn't be in the list because what we're going to do is talk about what the description is in the book of Titus of someone who does not love what is good. And so I'm going to read it to start with. We're going to go ahead and go to Titus chapter 1, and I'll start reading in verse 10. And I want you to just soak all of this in right here. What I don't want you to do is think, oh boy, I know someone just like that, okay? But soak this in for yourself and think, how does some of these things maybe uh, qualities that Characteristics I definitely don't want to have. Starting in verse 10 of Titus chapter 1, he says, For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. So he's giving a contrast for elders look like this, the ideal looks like this, this is what the opposite of that is. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. I've referenced that a few times. That was from centuries before someone who is from Crete actually wrote that about his own people. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to human, merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So the opposite of spiritual shepherds, people who love what is good, are these people who are incapable or unfit for doing anything good. You see the contrast here. Let's skip to chapter 3. Paul talks more about this. And this is right after he has shared, uh, as we, we've talked about in chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, that we spent most of our time on. 
Starting in verse 8, he says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. There it is again, that phrase. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But look at the contrast here, and we have it again in verse 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Okay, so let's take some time and to walk through some of what Paul tells Titus here. We're going to look at two major categories here, and then we'll look at some descriptions. He talks about here, and he doesn't use this term, but it's used other places, and and it has some various, uh, there's some, it's not always exactly the same people. There's some variation here. But he talks about Judaizers, okay? So these are people that you see in the New Testament that have become Christians. They come from a Jewish background, and they are making some of what is called of the Jewish people in the Old Testament or from traditions that uh, cropped up in the meantime, demanding that Christians follow those. Sometimes it came in the form of diet. So if the Christians come together and there's people that come from a Gentile background and then there's people that come from a Jewish background, sometimes the people that came from a Jewish background would be really hard on the Gentiles saying, you know, I know that you're a Christian and I know that you've come to Christ, but if you really want to be spiritual, you cannot eat bacon anymore. And please, it just makes me sick. And because I don't like it, you can't do it. Those sort of things that really, uh, Paul says, no, no, no. He spends a whole lot of time in Galatians saying, nope, that's not how things work here. Okay, You cannot do gospel plus. You cannot create all these other traditions around and tell people that they are not going to be faithful to God if they don't follow this. Or sometimes it was certain holidays or celebrations. I don't get the impression reading through any of Paul's letters that he had any issue with Jews celebrating those. But it was enforcing them and demanding them on other people became the issue. A circumcision was an issue here as well. You imagine, and, and this is Scripture, and I'm sharing this from Scripture. You imagine people becoming Christians, and there's some Jews there that walk up to a group of Gentiles and say, all right, here's the deal. If you're really going to follow God, then you need to be circumcised. You imagine how that went over. Not so well, right? But that's practically, that, that, I mean, that's, that's, not a, that's, that's what was happening in those churches. And so Paul is sharing with Titus here is you've got to be careful with these people that have traditions that they're going to bring to the table, and they're going to be convicted, but there's things that we just can't solve in this life. There's things that we're not going to resolve and have a clear answer on, and you may not impose and demand those things on other people. It's not okay. Or there's another group of people that Paul is talking about here, and this is where we get the term, right? Cretans. If you think of if someone, has anybody ever been called a Cretan? Yeah. Okay, there's probably, I don't know of anybody who is a descendant from, from Crete here. Maybe there is. But that is usually not a, an extremely, uh, it's, it's not a compliment if you've, you've been called that. What it means is someone who is blatant, has a blatant disregard for good. So, in other words, the opposite of what Paul is talking about. Instead of someone who loves what is good, it's someone who's got a complete and blatant disregard for doing what is good. We talked about this a while back and what that might look like in our context. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a place 
And people are asking each other, where do you come from? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've said, I come from Libby. And people go, oh, my. All right. Do you drink whiskey? You know, that sort of is the response immediately. And uh, because in the era that I grew up in, if you're from Libby, there's a stereotype there. I get it. I, I grew up in that context. I understand it. And so you see what Paul's doing here. He's saying, here's some people that you need to be aware of because what they're going to do, allowed to be who they want to be, are going to destroy the souls of others. And it's not acceptable. It's not okay. And you notice that there's a big laundry list here of various things of what the description of people who don't love what is good look like. People who are rebellious or people who are involved in meaningless talk. In other words, and there, there's some times we as people just love to talk. Don't we talk, 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 talk? And maybe don't do anything, but we sure talk a, a whole lot. Or there's a deception involved in our lives. In other words, the opposite of pursuing what is true and pursuing what is good. But we live in a way that is constantly putting up a front so we look a whole lot better than we are and just deceiving the people around us. Or we uh, get involved with teaching what should not be taught. Now, I'll come back to that here in a minute. Just because you and I may have a hobby horse or a something that we're really excited about sharing with everybody else, doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Okay, we'll come back to this here, because there's, Paul talks about it again here in a, in a bit. Or dishonest gain. Taking, taking advantage of other people so that we gain and they lose. That's the idea here. Or someone who is just rejecting truth. And we can get to the point where, as it says here in a sec, nothing is, is pure. We just get so corrupt that way. Our mind is and conscience is corrupted. We don't see right and wrong for what it is anymore. I think we see a lot of that in our world. Uh, if we're honest, we see it in our own hearts. Is we call good bad and we call bad good. And we can really get twisted around on some of those things. Where we tend, we can get to a point where we look at others and we, because we are corrupt and we are are unbelieving in our own hearts, then we tend to project those motives on everybody else. And that's not necessarily the case. Nothing's pure. Everybody else is out to get me. Everybody else is... But the reality is it's just a reflection of what's really going on in our own hearts. It's what's really there. Someone who is... We can be unbelieving in that... Um, we don't necessarily reject God, but it just... Don't believe that he can really do the things that he talks about. Or uh, here's another one. Claim to know God, but our actions say otherwise. Now, this is important here because in Timothy and Titus, false teaching, and this is very, very important for us to realize here, is, is completely and directly connected with how it affects our lives. And he says how you determine that people are teaching things that are leading people astray, is what you see in their lives. If their lives are surrounded by conflict and sin and dissension and divisiveness and all of that, then what's going on inside is not right. There's something very, very crooked there, something that's not going well. Look at, there's more here. Things that are detestable. Um, there is a... I thought about the term detestable. It's something that, is, that just does not sit well in your mouth. 
Think about something that you've eaten at some point in time and it just does not sit well in your mouth. Yeah, can you think of that? Fish. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I was thinking about it the other day. Is we? Um, how many of you have eaten mountain lion? Not nobody. It's some of the best wild meat I've ever had. Anyway, most people won't eat it. But that's. Uh, I remember when I tried to feed it to my family. That's the face that they made. Nope, absolutely not. That is detestable. Yep, that's an abomination. Get that out of my kitchen. Right? Disobedient. Disobedience, someone who's going to go the opposite direction of what is good. Now, let's, okay, let's go back to this here. Foolish and useless arguments about controversies, genealogies, and the law. Hey, we as people can sometimes get into a place where we, oh, just want to debate, 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 and try to fix everything in the world. Now, there's a place for that. There's a place to sit down over coffee and say, all right, let's just roll with this discussion and see what we can come up with prayerfully and that's valuable and that's valid but that doesn't mean that we should as a church or as Paul's telling Titus throw everything on the table and try to get to the bottom of everything and discuss it because what happens is we end up talking about foolish useless arguments about controversies genealogies the law whatever and we get distracted from doing something right now. That can happen to us. I've been guilty of that. I get on a hobby horse and, hey, we're in, everybody needs to hear about this right now. And uh, fortunately, if, that you know, as, as a young person, I had people in my life say, hey, let's go back and talk about the gospel. Let's talk about that. You know, that's important to go back to. Because as the older I've gotten, the more I've realized is there's a whole lot of things in this life that we're not going to solve and we're not going to figure out. But... What Paul is telling Timothy is get people going in a good direction and keep them there because you're not going to solve all of that in this life. I think about it fundamentally, and I think it's important to continue to bring this up. The elders and deacons, when we started going into quarantine and all of this, we went around the room, and it was pretty evident that we didn't have the answers. We thought, okay, are we going to get come to the bottom of this, figure out all the answers, or are we going to just keep people focused on the gospel? We chose, we're going to keep people focused on the gospel, try to go a good direction. So I think it's been the right choice there. Otherwise, we could have gotten off into useless arguments that we can't solve. We don't know the answers to right now anyway. God has been good. God has blessed that effort. Here's another one. Unfit for doing anything that is good. Because when we get warped, uh, as the next uh, phrase is here, we become, uh, we can't see right from wrong anymore. Hey, Don is here. Don is a, a tremendous bow hunter. Animals are never safe in September in the first part of October, right? And so there, is, there was a time, and it's different now. You're shooting carbon arrows, Don. Okay, carbon arrows are different because they, they don't bend and, and stay that way. They just break, uh, if that's the case. But there was a time when aluminum was the thing, right? And aluminum arrows, how many of you have ever shot aluminum arrows? Now, aluminum arrows bend, don't they? And if you try to shoot an aluminum arrow that is bent, what happens? It doesn't go very well, right? Because it's warped and it goes off in some weird direction and uh, creates all sorts of problems and is not accurate at all. And our hearts can get warped where what comes out of us in our life is destructive because what's going on inside is so warped and, and uh, crooked. 
Here's the last couple of descriptions here that are given. Sinful, someone who is self-condemned. And that's ultimately what happens when we get warped on the inside, is that we self-destruct. There's a self-condemnation that comes, and we tend to blame everybody else for it, but we can't walk straight because of everything that is, uh, that is crooked inside of us. I know that we've got some mechanics here, and you guys can help me, give me a nod, yes or no, in this. But as I understand that if someone is driving around their vehicle, okay, Jeff, you can give me thumbs up or thumbs down on how this works, right? You're driving around in, in your vehicle, and you start to get a rattle on the front end. And you just don't worry about it. Oh, that's okay. I'm not going to worry about that. That's okay. And it gets to where it's pretty severe, and you can feel everything shaking. Uh, but, hey, I'm not going to worry about that. That's okay. It's, it's all good. Eventually, that will lead to other problems, right? Is, okay, Jeff gave me a thumbs up. So my me- mechanical acumen is right on it. Fred's there. Okay, good. I'm, we're right on there. Because what happens is little things at some point in our life that, don't take, that we don't take care of, that we don't confess, that we don't repent of, ultimately start rattling all sorts of things loose in our spiritual life, just like in a car like that. So that's the concept here. Is, as we ask the next question, um, what should we do when there is someone among us who doesn't love what is good? And Titus shares this very clearly. And I'll come back to the, the analogy of the, uh, the vehicle here in just a minute. But look at what is shared here. And Titus shares all of this. Being a spiritual people, when there is someone among us who is clear that does not love what is good, first and foremost, based on all the descriptions that we see there, is to tell them, you may not talk that way, be that way among us. We are a community of joy, a community of peace, a community of God. And if you're bent out of shape about something, you, gotta do, you, know, we get, you can't just go and talk to everybody about that. Hey, we're not going to tolerate that. It's not going to... Because that can rattle other things loose other places. Scripture says real clearly, silence them or they're going to disrupt other families, other people. Warn them or rebuke them. Correct them Twice. It says here, warn them once, warn them a second time, where there's this nose-to-nose conversation that you cannot act this way, cannot be this way, and then have nothing to do with them. This is part of church discipline. And it's not easy, it's not popular, it's not fun, but when there's people among us or any church that is stirring the pot, our job is to say, no, you may not do that. You may not act that way. And if you insist on acting this way and there's not clear repentance, then you need to step out of among us because we are a people of peace, we're a people of community, and that's the way things are supposed to be. That's the way God has called us to be. And so the point here is that that is, oh, man, it makes me uncomfortable just to think about that and talk about that. But the, the point here that Paul is getting across to Titus is if you don't have the courage to do this, other people will be destroyed. Their souls will be hurt. And that's the loving thing to do because some of us, all of us, at some point in time, just need some correction to get our heart and head straight, right? Just imagine what any one of us would have turned out like if we would have had no correction whatsoever as a child. And our parents corrected us imperfectly, (laughs) definitely. And I do that imperfectly. I have kids here. Am I the perfect dad? 
No, I've got shortcomings. They'll tell you that. But every one of us needs correction to help us understand, no, I can't do that. I can't be that way. Every one of us needs that at some point in time. So that's what Scripture tells us, how we're supposed to navigate those type of difficult circumstances when there's unrepentant sin, specifically, according to Titus, people are stirring the pot within the community of God. So the big question I think it's important for us to ask is, how does one become that way, someone who doesn't love what is good? How many of you heard the story of uh, the two wolves? I know it's, uh, it's used a lot. And uh, when I was uh, teaching a class on spirituality and recovery at a treatment center years ago, this proverb or this story was on the wall. And I'm going to read it as is. That is, I found on the Internet, I understand that just like anything, or most things you find, there's uh, some of the background of this story is not true, and because it's so popular, it's taken legs of its own. And it's a story that is told from the perspective of an old Cherokee, an old Native American warrior teaching his grandson about life. And so I'll read it as is, understanding that the origins of the story may be different, okay? But I'm just going to read it as is. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. Does that sound like a list that we would find in Scripture? Boy, acts of sinful nature. All of those lists look a lot like that. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. Does that sound like a list that we're familiar with from Scripture? Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit, are those descriptions of how we're supposed to live? The same fight is going on inside you, the grandfather told his grandson, and inside every other person too. And the grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the old grandfather simply replied, the one you feed. That's the one who wins. The question for us here is how does one become someone who doesn't love what is good? Because the Judaizers didn't walk into the church community saying, all right, we're going to destroy the faith of everybody here. They thought they were doing what was right. You didn't have people who were Cretans necessarily saying, uh, I'm going to try to destroy the souls of everybody else. They just, they're just doing their thing. But the big question here, the big thing to remember is, who is going to win out inside of us? Because every one of us has that side that is, is a sinful nature going to win out in me, or is the fruit of the Spirit and God's message going to win out in my life, and is that going to transform me? And I'm convinced that there's very few people look around and say, I'm going to self-destruct life for myself and others. That doesn't happen very often. But what does happen is that there is some small sin inside of us. And let's look back to what the story says. Something that is like anger and envy and sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, ego. One of those things that is inside of us that it's hard for us to see it there. 
And maybe even the people around us can't really pick up on us because it's not something you can touch. It's invisible. It's a quality inside of us. But it's allowed to live there. And because we don't reflect in Scripture, we don't reflect in prayer, because of our own pride, we're unwilling to reflect with others. It is allowed to grow inside of us and it becomes something much greater that ultimately takes over and we lose control of it. It becomes the dark wolf that is destructive. And so it's very important to say everything matters. Every darkness that I see inside of me is something that potentially could be really destructive. Every, one, every bit of it matters. And be uh, honest and transparent about that. But the bigger question is, how can I be one who loves what is good? Now, next week, Paul is going to spend some time telling Titus nuts and, some nuts and bolts about here are some things that you teach people so that they learn to do what is good. And we'll deal with some practical stuff next week. This, today, I want to finish with just dealing with something that's, uh, that's, that has more to do with our heart. Here's a picture of, this is the guy who we did the memorial service for yesterday, John Free and his wife Betty, and there's, uh, I assume, one of the grandchildren. I'm not sure uh, what child that is there being placed on John's lap right there. But one of the stories that came up that really impacted me about John's life is from his son, Scott, telling it. Uh, Scott talked a lot about his early life from birth all the way through, and I didn't realize that John grew up as a sharecropper. And he uh, was uh, picked a lot of cotton in his life by hand, and uh, stories about how uh, they were going to be given money if they picked 100 pounds of cotton, and if they didn't get there, they, they didn't get any money. You know, th- those kind of stories that were really fascinating to tell. And you could, looking at John, looking at his hands, I thought, oh, that makes sense. I bet he, he picked a lot of cotton by hand. Grew up in poverty, but grew up with a family and a house that was full of joy, which shouldn't surprise any of us. And when he uh, ended up coming to Montana, he had heard that there were churches that needed faithful people up here, needed Christians, needed help. And John, as a young man, before he graduated college with a teaching degree, apparently he wrote uh, the superintendent of Montana and said, hey, is there anybody that needs teachers? And the principal from Roy, Roy, Montana, which we did find out is still a real place uh, yesterday. There's a few buildings there. It's north of Lewistown. But John, uh, apparently, the principal called and said, hey, would you like to come teach middle school? And John said, you must be mistaken. I'm, I want to come at some point in time, but I'm not done with my degree yet, and I have a ways to go. And the principal said, well, the rancher's wife that is teaching the kids right now doesn't have a degree, and she needs to go back to the ranch, and so you can come here without a degree, and we'll hire you, and you can work here. And there were stories about how John got into the farming community and was a blessing to the people there. But what really impacted me was that John, as a young guy, as a single guy, and he wouldn't marry Betty for many years later, he drove, arrived in Lewistown, as I remember the story, arrived in Lewistown early, early Sunday morning as he drove through the night, and the first thing he did is he found his people. He found the church building, he pulled into the parking lot, and showed up. And I don't know anybody who was there in the early 1960s, it would have been, when John showed up there. But can you imagine a young John Free walking through the door saying, Hey, I just rolled in from California. What can I do? I'm sure that's what John's attitude was. 
what can I do to be a blessing? And there it went, from there. And there's something very wise and very valuable in that. If we ask this question, how can I be one who loves what is good? Is that we make the decision right now, every one of us, is that I'm not going to live this life to serve myself. I'm not going to walk through life saying, what am I getting out of this? I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to simply show up among God's people and say, what can I do to be a blessing right here, right now? Boy, all of us live that way. I can't help but think that we develop into people who love what is good. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you're welcome to head to the back. Uh, The elders will be back there to pray with you. Any burdens you've got, you're welcome to share those. And uh, you don't have to face life alone. We're all walking through life together, and you've got people who are willing to pray with you about anything, anytime. And today is uh, one of those times. Uh, We're going to go into the Lord's Supper now, and then we'll continue to sing our way out. May God bless each of you richly in his kingdom this week.